So once again, um, the, the theme, the words, I guess, the verses, the verse, I think, that occupies my mind for the last couple of weeks is that Jesus is saying to, Jesus, Jesus is telling his disciples that he is the truth, the way, and the life. That Christianity, it's not another religion of the world, but Christianity is about life. It's about believing God means he gives us the only life that truly matters. Right? I think, I, I think for the, many of you were here last week. So for the last couple of weeks, I've been obsessed with this church in Korea. And um, the church is unique because even before COVID, they only got together physically maybe once a month. Three weeks out of the four, even before COVID, they met virtually. And even though I don't agree with that, mentality, the reason why the pastor decided to do that is he wanted to give his people the idea the church is not about buildings, it's not about man-made programs, but the church is really about life, the life that is given by God to his people. And if we claim to have faith but not experience life, the life of God, then our faith is worthless, right? If we're not experiencing the life of God in our lives, then what good is it that we come together and worship him? You know what I mean? And that's the purpose of why that church is operated that way. And it's true. The reason God saved us is so that we can live. What does it mean to live? How do you know? What does it mean to experience? What, what does it mean to have life in God's name? The biblical definition of life is when we start to obey the two commandments that God has given us, which is to love God with our hearts, souls, and minds, and love our, love our neighbors as ourselves. A life and a mind that recognizes that there is only one God. And a life that recognizes that all things come from Him. And a life that recognizes, a life that is in all of God. And a life that is devoted to worshiping His name. A life that is taking absolute pleasure in worshiping worshiping God. That's life. For the Christian, when you look at God and when your mind is filled with his reality, when you are just in awe of him, you find meaning and beauty in everywhere, in all places. It's really true. When you see God's hand all over the place, you can begin, begin to hear his voice through his word. And you can experience him being alive. When he is like that to you, 
Your heart lives. Do you know? Our life lives when we start to really love our neighbors as ourselves. When we truly live our lives in service of other people. Giving them our time. Giving them our prayers. Giving them our biblical knowledge. Sharing our lives with people. Guys, we experience life. That's how you live. The opposite of life is death. What sin does is sin isolates us, right? Sin is saying life is not about God. Life is not about other people. Life is about ourselves, our comfort, our ease, our security, the benefit of our children, whatever. It's about us. It's self-contained. And you know how what a self-contained life looks like. It is a life that is dead. We live in the, we live in the, most, the most technologically advanced, the wealthiest. You know, we have, in, in, in the history of mankind, there is no group of people as wealthy, as privileged, as technologically advanced as we are. Right? But because people live for themselves, the suicide rate, the drug addiction, the, the hatred, the division, it's an all time high right now. Christianity is life, man. When James is writing this letter to the Messianic Jews, he is writing them, if you look at it, it seems like he's being really hard on them. But I think he's being really hard on them because they are choosing death over life. So let's review what is happening in chapter 4. These Christians... Right? Who are these Christians? Once again, these Christians, if you ask them, they will identify themselves as Christians. Right? They can point to their conversion experience. They were, they were the first generation Christians. Their mommies and daddies were not Christians. Right? But they had a real conversion experience. They weren't raised in the church. They had a genuine conversion experience, these, these Messianic Jews. Right? Not only had they had genuine conversion experiences, they also sacrificed much to live for the Lord. Right? Like I said before, they were ostracized by their society. They were forsaken by their family. Businesses have, people didn't want to do anything, any business with them because people believed that they were following a cult. But, so, they had legitimate conversion experiences. They were sacrificing much for the Lord. And they were gathering regularly, weekly, to worship him. Religious experience, costly, costly discipleship, and weekly religious services. They will point to these things to say, yes, my faith is genuine. 
But James is warning them. Even though they may have experienced all these things, in the reality of their everyday lives, they are no longer following God. They're following their desires and passions. Even though structurally they can say they're Christians, in the everyday reality of their lives, they were not following God. They were following their passions, their desires, their feelings, what they think they should do. And James is loving, I think, I, I, I feel James is loving them, lovingly scorning them. And he's saying, you, if, you guys are, if you guys aren't submitting to God, if you guys are not not drawing near to God, then what you guys are really doing is you guys are just choosing, following the way of death. I'm getting parched here. One sec. When we, James is saying, when you follow your desires and your feelings and your passions and not God, despite how you define your religious affiliation, the result of your life is death. And you know that these guys are experiencing death by interpersonal conflict. How do you know that you are experiencing spiritual death? These conflicts that they have amongst them, amongst themselves. When you are in God, when you are following God, your relationship becomes fruitful and uniting and loving, right? But when you're following your passions and your desires and what you think is right, you will start to feel division and quarreling and fighting amongst the people in your life. James is warning them, stop following your passions. Submit to God. Draw near to Him. Confess your sins before Him. Go under God so that you may live. I think that's James' main point in chapter 4. Like those Christians, I know all of us, at least for me, there is a temptation every day to follow my desires, to follow my feelings, to follow my interpretation of things, rather than following God. It's true. Every morning I wake up and I want to find that day in terms of what I need to get done, how I feel about things, my fears, my desires, my passions. It's very tempting. It's, that, that, it's very alluring for me to follow those, that, that voice rather than submitting myself to God. Sometimes I follow that voice rather than God. And I could feel when I do energy and life draining coming out of me. But when I do it right every morning, not every morning, when I do it right in the mornings that I do walk with him first and praise his name first, the way that day unfolds is quite different from the days that are not. I know the temptation is strong to follow your feelings, your passions, what you want to get done. But James is warning us, don't do that. If you follow that, it's death. Submit to God. Draw near to Him, James says last week. James, this today, James is warning us. If you continually following your passions and your desires, what's going to happen to you is, your words are going to be words of death rather than words of life. Verse 11. 
Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. One of the fruits of these Christians following their passions and desires, one of the visible fruits of them following their desires is they're using evil speech against one another. What is evil speech? Evil speech here basically means they are defaming each other. They are using their words to be critical, to be judgmental, to gossip, to, to talk back, you know, you know, talk back in, talk back about a person. All designed to defame a brother. You know what I mean? They were using their words rather than using their words to build each other up. Because they were following their passions, they were using their words to criticize, to be judgmental, to gossip, to slander, right? To, 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 to belittle someone. Those, those were the evil words that the Christians that James was writing to, they were doing, they were, they were doing that to one another using their words to destroy someone's character. And, the, and like in verse 11, the tense of the verb, do not speak evil against one another, the word do not, if you look at the Greek, you know, Greek tense of the word, it means it's constantly happening in the church. These guys were constantly being critical, judgmental, gossiping, about, slandering one another. Constantly. A church that constantly belittles and gossips and critical and judge one another. That church will event, that church is a, a, a church that is not healthy. That is that church is a church church that, that is that is decaying. And James is saying you got to stop doing this. Being critical, judgmental, being slanderous to one another. It is an evil, it is one of the worst things that we can do, the Bible, the Bible testifies. I give you an example of slander, right? Like, so when my father, like five years ago, when my father was being appointed to his former position um, in Korea, that, that what, they, what they do is they, they do the, 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 the government, you know, the, the, the Congress of Korea have to vet him, right? He has to go through, a, like, a senatory, Senate hearing, confirmation hearing, right? And the opposing party, right, to the, to the president that, that appointed my dad, they wanted to find any dirt on my dad. They were going through all his personal financial records. So they found, and what they did was, they found some facts about my dad, and they twisted it to make as if appears as if he was who was breaking the law like forty years ago. They were scourging through his records, and they found something forty years ago, which is perfectly innocent and legal, but they took that fact and they twisted it. And they made, as if, made, made him appear as if he committed fraud. 
They, they, they looked at my records, right, of whatever available records that I, I have in Korea, and made me look at, appear as if that I was somehow milking the Korean Medicaid system. I had no idea what, you know, so it was like, these guys, what they were doing was they were taking facts that is perfectly legal and, 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 good and fine, and they're twisting it to make it slanderous. So for a month, my family was, being, was, was criticized in the press of Korean newspaper as people that are, that are, that are not upstanding citizens. My family went through slander in the Korean news for a month because the opposition party was twisting facts to make it appear that it is untrue. Slander is like that. You take certain aspect of someone and you twist it and in your mind that person, the, 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 the fact about that person, when you twist it, that per- person becomes more evil than the person actually is, more fallen than the person, or act- person actually is, more, you know, unforgivable. What these Christians were doing was they were slandering each other. They were, for example, like, I would go talk to Dr. J and about Hyo, and I said, Dr. J, right? I'm concerned about Hyo. And I'd speak all these things about Hyo, which may or may not be true. But the reason why I would talk to Dr. J about Hyo is so that in Dr. J's mind, Hyo will be someone that is not trustworthy and wrong. They were doing that to each other. They were going around being critical, being judgmental behind each other's backs. So that there was division within that church. They were slandering and, critic- and criticizing and, judge- and judging each other. That's a huge cancer within the church. And they were doing that to one another. In the early, Christ- in the early-, in, in the, in the early church, Christians were persecuted by the Roman government. And you know why they were, they were persecuted by the Roman government? Because other unbelieving citizens were slandering Christians. For example, Christians got together and they did what we're going to do today. They're going to do the Lord's Supper. And when the Lord's Supper you do, you, you, you take the flesh of Jesus, you consume the flesh of Jesus, and you drink his blood, right? That's what the Eucharist is. The unbelieving world, when they heard that Christians were doing that, how do you think they interpreted the Eucharist? They were cannibals. Have you heard of Christians, they say? These guys regularly get together and, and eat, eat someone's flesh and drink someone's blood. They're cannibals. Christians call each other brothers and sisters. That's what James is doing today, too, right? We're calling each other brothers and sisters in Christ. Brothers and sisters were marrying each other in the church. 
What's the, what's the slander? These Christians are, incestu- are, are committing incest. Brothers are marrying sisters. So Christians were cannib- cannibalistic, incestuous people. That was a rumor. Christianity was rebelling against the government because they, don't, they say Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. So to the eyes of the Roman government, to Roman, unbelieving Roman citizens, Christians were, you know, like those dudes who, who invaded the capital on January 6th? He's, like, he's like, like those guys. Totally off the grid, incestuous cannibals. These were not true, right? It's not true at all. But the slandering, was, making, was, was framing Christians in a certain way. And because the emperor started to hear this accusation against the Christians, Christians were being persecuted. Slanders were causing Christians to lose their lives. James is saying, when you guys speak evil against one another, when you guys slander each other, when you guys say false things about each other, when you guys criticize each other, you're doing the same thing that the Roman government, is, the Roman unbelievers are doing. And what the Romans, because of what the Roman unbelievers are doing, your brothers and sisters are being persecuted. You guys are doing the same thing. Using your words to kill each other. It is an absolute evil. Defaming each other, slandering each other. You are taking someone's name, someone's identity, and you are dragging it through the mud. You're destroying someone's character. And that is hideous. James saying it is hideous because you are not only destroying each other, But in fact, if you do it, you're going against the will of God. You're going against the law of God. Why is defaming each other such a horrible sin? Verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. In verse 11, there's two things wrong with speaking evil against one another. Number one, when you speak evil against one another, you are judging a brother in Christ. Let's, after, let's, let's, come, let's actually think about what this means. You're judging a brother in Christ. You're judging a sister in Christ. That brother and sister that you're judging, if they're Christian, because they're Christians, they have been forgiven by God. They have been lifted up by God. They have been washed by God. They have been declared righteous before God. And they have been found acceptable to God. If you're a Christian, what this means is God finds you acceptable because of the work of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, 
you were brought, bought at an expensive cost the, through the blood of Christ. You have been purchased and bought. Your worth is immeasurable because Christ has bled for you to make you acceptable before God. The name Christian is an incredibly precious, a miraculous thing because a Christian has been accepted and, found, and be found righteous before God, who is the only judge. Are we clear? When you judge someone, when you criticize someone, when you belittle someone, especially a Christian, you are saying the person whom God found acceptable, you're finding, you're, you're finding them unacceptable. God has forgiven them. God has accepted them. God has declared them righteous. But when you are judging a brother, you're saying, yeah, that person has been forgiven by God, but he doesn't meet my standards. He meets God's standards, but he doesn't meet mine. That's what you're, that's what James, that's what you're doing, James is saying. Look, brothers and sisters, if your husband and wife, for example, is a Christian. Before that person is your spouse, that person is a person whom God lifts up and says, that person is mine. I've purchased that person for, if, with my blood, with the, with the blood of my son. I purchased that person. That person is of immeasurable valuable value to me. That person meets my standards. That's what God is saying. If your spouse is a Christian, that person meets God's standard. You need to understand that. But when you're saying, ew, he doesn't or she doesn't do this or that. He's like this and that. He has so many faults. She has so many faults. Ew. What you're saying is, even though God finds that person acceptable, you don't. It's a preposterous thing that we do. What does our standard really mean? Our standard doesn't mean anything. Our sense of right and wrong, it doesn't mean anything compared to the standards of God, right? It doesn't. Whom God has found acceptable, why do you condemn and judge? That's James' point. Do you slander people, especially brothers and sisters? Maybe your slander is not as public as my family's, when my family's ordeal in the eyes of the Korean public. But do you slander someone? Do you slander others? within the confines of your home. Sometimes my, my wife tells me things about people that I do not know. And the people she talks to me about, I don't know them, but I have formed a negative opinion about them. That is not right. My wife doesn't share this with anyone else but to me. 
But that still doesn't make it right. That slander is a very personal, confined, my bedroom. It's confined to my bedroom, but it still doesn't make it right. It still is preposterous. Do you slander, defame, criticize, judge the people, especially brothers and sisters, behind their backs? Do you get together with one church person and talk about another church member behind their backs? What you are doing is preposterously evil. Slandering someone is a preposterously evil thing that we do. James is saying, not Peter, James is saying, how dare you judge someone whom God found acceptable? But if you don't follow God, right? If you don't follow God, then guess what? You're your own standards of righteousness. If you don't follow God, you need to measure the world and other people by some standard, not God's standard, and you will measure other people based on your standards. That is foolishness. Judging other people is not only preposterously evil, it's blaspheming against God. It's blaspheming against God because it is violating God's law. James is clear. If you blaspheme, if you slander someone, if you criticize someone, if you judge someone, if you defame someone, then you are blaspheming against God's law. Let's talk about God's law. By the way, because we have Eucharist, I'm not sticking to the script. I'm jumping all over the place. I'm very impressed with me. What's God's law? God designed existence, reality, to be precisely operational. The astrophysicist, the Christian astrophysicist, Hugh Ross says, the more scientists discover about the universe, the more it is, the more it is clear that God designed the universe. The more scientists examine the universe, the more they realize the universe had to be designed because it is so precise. Even in the most molecular, smallest molecular levels, reality is operating in such a way that, real, that, that, that life can happen. All the reality... Even the very cells of your body is dividing in precisely the right way so that you will have life. There's nothing in existence that is an accident. Everything is precisely designed, including our souls. The way God designed our, the, the way God designed our souls He built in laws within us. He has designed us to conform to certain laws. Okay? We were designed to conform to certain laws. And the two laws that God has designed us to be is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and minds, which we were talking about at the beginning, and is to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
These are the two laws that God has built, God has designed human beings to conform to. You cannot get away from these laws because this is how you were made. Loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and loving your neighbors as yourself. Even human beings who suppress the knowledge of God, human beings who says there is no God, they cannot help but to live for something that is higher of, for, of themselves. Even though you say you don't believe in God, you re- they replace God with something else. They live for something else. Whether it is your family, whether it is their career, whether it is for the Washington football team, I don't know what it is. Even if you say God doesn't exist, people cannot help but to live for something. They do it because we're designed to live for God. We're designed to fear Him. We're designed to be in all of Him. We're designed to say, you're the only God, that you, what, but you are the only one who makes existence happen. It is only you who are sovereign. It, we're designed to recognize God and live for Him. That's the number one law in our hearts. People, even who suppress the knowledge of God, live for other things, but their problem is the thing that they live for is empty and is nothing. Right? I was, I was watching YouTube clips by two guys who became super successful. Super successful in their early, like in their 20s and 30s. What these guys are saying was, when we actually got what we wanted, at an early age, I felt there's nothing. What's after this? There's nothing. After you get what you wanted, you work really hard to get what you wanted, when you actually get it, you find that there is nothing there. Ed Sheeran, for example, right? He said one of his dreams was to play a concert at Wembley Stadium. And all his life, he worked really hard to play a concert at Wembley Stadium. When he actually played the concert at Wembley Stadium, he says, the, the very, my response after the show was over was, is that it? That's it? Human beings, when they suppress the knowledge of God, they live for something that is ultimately dead and nothing. But they cannot help but to live for dead and nothing things. Because by their design, they're supposed to live for something that is greater than, greater, greater than themselves. By our design, guys, we're, we're designed to be wowed by God. We desire, we, we're designed to fear God. We're designed to worship God. We designed, we're, designed, we're designed to look at God. We're designed to love Him with all our hearts, souls, and minds. Number one design. If we don't live in accordance to that design, we die. Second design. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's how we're designed. We need to love our neighbors as ourselves. There's a yearning. Our design is to love. Human beings twist the desire to love, to make it all about us, right? Romance movies is all about me, right? Like my desire for love is really about my desire to be loved. That's not true. Your design is to love people, to give yourself to others. That's how we're designed to be. We're called to be compassionate 
and merciful. That is how God designed us to be. That's our calling. We cannot but help. If we don't live in accordance to that design, we die. We're called, the law of God in our hearts, it's to love him and to love, our, love others as ourselves. To be compassionate and merciful to others. God has designed us to be loving and compassionate. God has designed us to be loving and compassionate because he is loving and compassionate. The commandment to love other people, to be merciful to them, is based on God's, his own, God's own nature. For example, Exodus 34, 6, 7. God says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundance, abounding in goodness and truth. How does God define himself? God himself defines himself as merciful and gracious. God is a merciful and gracious, loving God. Psalm 145, verses 8 through 9. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy. God is compassionate slow to anger, great in mercy. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. It is clear, the nature of God, even the Old Testament God, is not anger. It's love. When he looks at a human being, he doesn't look at it in an angry way. He, He looks at human beings in a gracious, compassionate, loving way. How do you know God loves human beings? Because God sent his only son for us. God's view of human beings is that of love. And because we're made in that image, we're called to be gracious and compassionate to other people. That's the law of God. Are we clear? Law of God to love other people based upon his nature. When we slander people, James is saying, we are going against this law to love others and to be compassionate and merciful to them. The critical words that we use, the, 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 the lies and the judgments and the, and the dismissiveness, that we, the way we treat each other, it is going against the call to be compassionate and merciful towards other people. When you are critical and judgmental and, and when you defame people, James is saying, you are judging the law of God and saying, that law of loving other people, that's not for me. That law is wrong. You're blaspheming God's design, James says. And those whom blasphemes God's design are God's enemies. Look. Yes, God looks at human beings when you... When he, he looks at human beings with love and grace, grace and compassion. The Bible is also very clear. God judges sin in a very wrathful way. But think about why God judges sin in a very wrathful way. If you look at the sins that God is judging, he's judging sin. He's judging sins that destroy human relationships. 
Romans chapter 1, Paul says the wrath of God is coming and he lists various sins. The wrath of God is coming because people are killing each other. The wrath of God is coming because people are slandering one another. The wrath of God is coming because people are divided. People are expressing fits of rage with one another. People are using one another for their own, for their own pleasure. The wrath of God is coming because people are not loving each other. People are destroying each other. That's why the, love, the wrath of God is coming to us. Because we're not living in accordance to God's law. Which causes death and destruction. James is saying, if you are slandering other people, if you are talking smack against your brothers and sisters, you are blaspheming God's law and you are his enemy. So knock it out, James is saying. My dear brothers and sisters, how you talk about a fellow Christian it's very, we have, to, we have to be very careful. Because the person that we're talking about, that person doesn't exist so that you can pass judgment on, the, on that person. That person exists for the glory and the majesty of God. Look, living in a fallen, fallen state means that we're always tempted to judge other people, judge ourselves in accordance to our standards. That's, being, that's living in a fallen state. But James is saying, don't follow that desire to judge all things according to your standards, your perception. Submit to God and his standards. When you submit to God and his standards, you will not be able to talk smack against your fellow brother and sister. Husband and wives, I know it is very tempting for you to judge, judge your spouse in accordance to your standards. I know it is very tempting. It is certainly tempting for me. Yesterday I felt the temptation, right? Like, you know, my wife went to go buy toilet paper, but she ended up buying paper, paper towels. Right? And oh, so I had to go. And in my mind, I, I thought, oh, you, all you have to do is, you know, you know how it goes. All you have to do is like, take care of the kids and, then, and take care of the kids and go to the house, and I have to do this. For, now I have to do this. I was very tempted to say that to her, but I wasn't because I was preparing for the sermon. It is very tempting for me to condemn my wife based upon my own standards. James thinks, don't do that. When you look at your wife, you cannot look at her solely in terms of your own perception. But look at it in terms of God, his law, and who that person is in the eyes of God. Do you understand? James is, verse 12, James is saying, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy but who are you to judge your neighbor? James is saying, it makes no sense for you to judge your neighbor 
Because, to put it mildly, James is saying that you're, you're a nobody. You cannot judge other people because you're a nobody. God is the lawgiver, and God is the judge. God is the one, God is sovereign. He makes law, he makes all the laws that make up reality, he's the one who designed it. And it's only ultimately, he's the only one who has the power to judge. Ultimately, the only judge that matters is him. Right? Your judgment of all other people, it doesn't matter at all. Your judgment about me, it doesn't matter at all. You can say I'm the worst pastor ever, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because God is the only judge, right? Your small judgments about other people, it don't matter, James is saying. Because you have no power. You have no authority. You have no power because you cannot save and destroy people. Only God can save and destroy people. So don't waste your time doing things that don't matter at all. Conform to God. The temptation to slander other people, it will be great. As soon as you leave, maybe as soon as the service is over, as soon as you open up your mouth, maybe the temptation to slander each other is just going to come. But that is why you need to be humble before him. You need to start interpreting all things through his lenses and not yours. Rather than condemning and judging, let us spend, let, let us, let us, think more about how we can better serve and love people in our lives. Let us pray for these things.